It's that time again for Let's Talk Harford Public Schools. Let's Talk Harford Public Schools is a talk show designed to highlight the schools in Harford, Connecticut. We discuss our beautiful and capable students, as well as our staff, families, and partners. Each show, we invite a guest on to talk about who they are, what their relationship is to our schools, and their successes, as well as their challenges. I am your host, Mr. Rich, Tyrone Richardson. Me, myself, I have been a resident student teacher, principal, and now executive director here in Hartford, and I will also be your guide on this conversational journey. With that said, let's get to our next exciting guest for episode three. She is a BOE board member for Hartford Public Schools. She is the chief of the policy committee. She is also the VP of operations for Compass Youth Youth Collaborative, which is a um, a very prominent organization that works with our schools. She is the mother of two boys, uh, Mrs. Aisha Clark. Welcome. Thank you for having me. How you doing? I'm doing well. All right. Excited to be here. (laughs) All right. I'm glad to have you here because not only because, you know, you're a Hartford resident, right? You were born and raised in Hartford? I was. Okay. So Hartford resident, born and raised in Hartford, Connecticut, but being a board member, being a member of um, Compass, being a parent of students who are in our school system, you are like the perfect guest. So we got a lot to talk about. But first, we want to get to know you. So tell us a little a little about yourself. Where were you? How was your upbringing? What schools did you go to? So um, I was born in the city of Hartford, as stated. Um, I also did come go back and forth from Hartford to East Hartford. So I started off at West Middle School. Okay. Um, that was my beginning elementary school. And then I transitioned to East Hartford school system and spent my schooling there. But my night was in Hartford. So went to school in Hartford um, after a couple of years of being at West Middle and then transitioned back um, to Hartford as I became an adult. You said your nights were in Hartford? Well, I mean, my grandmother has lived in Hartford, so it was go to school, then you go to your grandma's house, too. All right. So we've lived all throughout the city of Hartford, from Oakland Terrace to Edgewood Street to anywhere you can think of. We've probably lived in the city of Hartford. You know, I had the same kind of experience going through Hartford. It was because my mom was rent jumping. She was she was running from landlords, but that's a whole nother deal. Well, but. that's a whole nother deal. I won't <laughs> say my grandmother did that, but she just liked she got bored, and so we moved. What high school did you go to? I went to East Hartford. East Hartford High, high School. Mm-hmm. Okay, go okay. Hornets. Sorry, East Hartford. Got you. That's Sorry, right. Hartford schools. <laughs> um, favorite subject in school growing up? My favorite subject I would say was English. Mm-hmm. Um, very passionate about learning and writing and reading. Um, was one of my favorite hobbies was reading. So yeah. English was a time where I was able to flourish and having me interpret what I thought the writer was trying to say yeah. and using that to apply to my own life if needed. Okay, English, that's good. Um, best teacher you had, was that your English teacher or was that, what do you remember most about that specific teacher? So I would say my best teacher was my actual third grade teacher um, that I remember. His name was Mr. Johnson. He was an amazing teacher. It was a time where cursive was still being implied in I want to talk about that. Remind me come back to cursive. Go ahead, go ahead. And so he was very rigid, um, and he had the best penmanship you would ever see. And he taught us to believe in ourselves. He taught us that it was... Um, Although he was in third grade, and I remember it very vividly, he said that you can be anything you wanted to be. So he allowed us to start thinking about careers, and at that time I wanted to be a pediatrician. So he put a picture of us on a bus, 
And so on this big bus on in the hallway, he put our pictures up and then he put the careers under it. And I'll never forget that. And so Mr. Johnson, I always said, was my favorite teacher because he pushed us very hard to yeah. do well and he always expected our penmanship to be great. That is very detailed, you know, a very detailed account of remembering that, man. Do you reach out to him? Do you know where he is? I don't know where he is. Okay. I wish I could find him. Yeah. I think he's in Florida somewhere, but he was one of my fa- and he was an older man at that yeah. time too so for him to be an older gentleman but very very passionate about us and at, at, at that age and it's is. very unique to have a male teacher in elementary that you know i'm not saying that so long ago i'm not going to date you on age or nothing like that but um that's very rare question i have that i ask at times you brought up cursive do you think it's necessary for us to learn how to write cursive um, I will say I'm biased that it is necessary because it was something that I was taught. But that's um, so what? That's <laughs> old school. Like, okay, let me keep going. Keep going. So I think it's important. Um, I do see some of our young kids that come through our program yeah. who do not know how to sign their name in cursive. Um, and so they're signing application, job applications, and, and they're printing it. My son does that. And He's so, 21. And he yep. <laughs> when the first time I saw that, I was like, wait, wh- what are you doing? And I realized it it's something that's not in them anymore. No. And so for me, I was like, wait, no. So for my my two boys, they, I taught them how to do it. Did I do it the best? No, but they do mm-hmm. know how to write their names in cursive. So Montessori schools still do that. We have two Montessori schools in Hartford that you have to write in cursive when you do it. I just want to know, being where we are in technology right now, is it really necessary to, to teach kids? Should we have that in school as a curriculum, cursive handwriting? Um, I do know that we are in a day, I mean, a, a day and time where technology is taking over. So you're also like keying in things and signing things. However, there are times where you are signing in cursive mm-hmm. your penmanship on an electronic document. So I'm, again, still slightly biased that it is something that <laughs> should be taught, maybe not necessarily as a curriculum, but it is something that I do feel that could be implemented somewhere, somehow, just so our young kids can know what to do when there is a document in front of them that they need to sign. Okay, I got another one for you. I got another sure. one. Just because we're on that, these are my top two. Um, math, right? Do we need certain levels of math anymore given the fact that we have tools at our hands to do the math for us? So do we need to learn our facts, multiplication facts? Do we need long division? Do we need to learn how to give a tip, percentages, all that? if all that stuff is at our fingertips? Um, so you're asking someone who also was really, really good at math. Okay, all and right. And so I also was that one who did statistics without the calculator. Oh. So, again, <laughs> bias approach to it, um, I think it's important to know. So my thinking is I need to know how to get to an answer, even okay. if I have the device in front of me to use. And so although, again, tip, there's all these different mechanisms used for you to do the tip. Yep. But I also I try to teach people, OK, if it's a 20 percent tip that you're trying to leave, how much is 10 percent of that? And then just add it double, because yeah. you're not always your device might be dead at that time. Right. You might have electrical surge that goes on, and you won't it's have it available. It's on the receipt. It's on the receipt, <laughs> it's now, on the receipt now. But it's not teaching us critically thinking of anymore. Course. It I got teaches you. us that everything is easily accessible. And then if we're stuck in a situation where we do need to solve a problem, we mm-hmm. don't have those skill sets to do it. Okay. So I do think it's important to learn it. Is it used now as much? Do I do long division? No. But there are times when I sit back and I'm like, wait, how did I get that? There's no calculator. Okay, I need to do that long division. I use that now to help my my boys with their math. However, the way math is taught now is completely different than the way I was taught math. Yep. So I also have to keep that 
in mind in mind okay. when I'm trying to help them. Okay, I'm gonna leave this. I'm gonna leave this stuff alone now. But I do like one thing you said that I, I try to go by as well as being resourceful, right? If you know how to find the answer, then we're good, right? If you're just stuck and you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know the answer, and therefore I'm not gonna do anything about it. But if I know how to use this tool to find the answer, then I'm straight. And so that's one thing that I like to push. Um, in our school system, we pay a lot, a, pay a good amount of attention to our principals. Is there a principal from the past that you remember in one way or another that was either really, really awesome or just, just didn't have it? Um, I would say one of the principals that I remember the most is Dr. Edwards. He was a principal, um, a high school principal, mm -hmm. for two years, actually, going into our third year of high school. He was the one who you're here doing um, this radio show, but I was the one who did the morning announcements at our school. <laughs> and so I, he was the one who gave me a voice. Um, I was a track runner. I was all this, but he also allowed me to come in and like show show skills where I'm actually an introvert, but it allowed me to kind of hide behind the mic and showcase my talents in a different way. Yeah. And he also allowed me to go on different trips um, within the school system to talk about our SAC, which was our student assistance center. Yeah. And so I was kind of the spokesperson for the school to do that. And he gave me a lot of leadership roles to help develop me to where I am now. And so I would say he's probably the the principal that sticks out the most. Now, if you ask me where he is now, I have no idea. Okay. I, I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> yes, I was, but it's okay. Um, just because we like to look at people who who influenced us in the past, right, and, and still have a mark on us today, and a lot of times growing up, our kids are influenced by our teachers and our principals, and, and that's the kind of point that we want to try to make here um, on this show. What else are you into? What do you like to do in your spare time? So I do still love reading. Um, I don't do it as much as I would like to, but I do love reading. Um, I also love traveling. Yeah. Um, that's something that I try to do a lot more. Um, I also in love enjoy spending time with my close family and friends. Um, that brings me comfort. Um, I love also game nights. That's something that's really big that we do in our family is play games. I come from, I'm my mom's only child, and so I oh, never had. spoiled? No, not spoiled. Okay. All right. I just didn't have anyone to play with, so I played Monopoly by myself. So now that I Monopoly, have friends. Monopoly? <laughs> so now I have friends that play Monopoly and Taboo okay. with me. Monopoly and Taboo are those games. What's the last great thing you read? So I... I'm reading a book currently now that's called... PG. It's PG. Okay. And so it's called You're a Bad A. Um, okay. It does have some... Oh. Yeah, some inappropriate words in there, but yeah. it's also just an encouragement that who you are is ingrained in you and using those things that are inside of you yep. to grow. So that's the book that I'm currently reading. And so far, I will say it's actually really good. So that author has um, a calendar too, like a daily calendar that you that has a quote for each day so i haven't gotten that far so thank yep. you for letting me know <laughs> yeah i get that for my niece for every christmas so thank you for the yes. christmas present that's coming <laughs> oh, up in 2020 thank you 2020. i appreciate it absolutely right give me something um i usually ask this at the end of the show but we're flowing with that give me something you're currently watching or binging Ooh, so currently i just watched the aaron hernandez yeah. uh, show mm -hmm. or documentary yep. on netflix that's the one i just been watched um what'd you I, think about that um <laughs> Just interesting. Yeah. It's interesting from what I thought it was going to be about. Mm 
Um, it's interesting how people go back with a person who's deceased now and retell a story without them being present um, and not being able to have an influence on what that story's about. So just thought it was very interesting. And I unfortunately binge watch late at night when I should be sleeping. Okay. All right. Well, um, we're going to get into a little bit of one of your roles that you have. You wear many hats. Um, As a parent in our school system, um, and also a board member and also working for Compass. Um, what is it like with your boys? You have two boys. How, how old are they? What schools do they go to? So I have two boys. One is seven, one is nine, and they both attend Annie Fisher STEM. Okay. And why Annie Fisher STEM? That's one of our great schools. We want, we want to pump our schools up. Why are your kids going there? So when I was looking at the different schools that I would love for our boys, for our boys my husband and I to um, have them go to, which I will say that's a very stressful situation on choosing a school for your child. I okay. will say that. Yep. Um, I'm not an anxious person, but it did give me anxiety of trying to figure out which school. Um, but I did choose that school, one, for the diversity that's within the school and also for the academic rigor and for the STEM. So those are kind of the three um, components that we were looking at mm-hmm. um, for the success for our, our boys. They're in second and fourth grade. And they have been within the school system, within that school, since our oldest was in kindergarten. Wow. So dedicated. Correct. Are you, do you sit on a PTO, SGC for that school? So for No, um, okay. I cannot do that because of my Your other role. My Your other, other role. obligations. I got you. All right. Um, and do your kids like the school so far? They do. I have um, talked to them about potentially leaving the school just to see what their reaction would be. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, mommy, we love our school. We um, love what's going on. Also, the class, there's only two grade levels per. Two two classes per grade level, sorry. Um, And so that's that's something, it's a smaller school. Um, It's not, obviously, there are other schools that are small like that, but that's good for us mm-hmm. um, but it did take us some time to get them in there so we didn't our kids didn't get enrolled in that school right away they had to go through the lottery and got denied and they were at Rawson as well yeah. and they went to crack to you know being truthful so they've been in different school systems but this is the one that we've we've loved okay we're going to talk about your work with Compass Youth, Youth Collaborative what is that organization and what do they do for our school system so for so Compass Youth Collaborative is um, an organization where we have three um, community-based organiz excuse me community schools <laughs> three community schools yeah. um, in which we service so we service Burns we service HMTCA which is Harford Magnet Trinity College Academy mm-hmm. and we also have uh, Belize and within those schools we provide uh, wraparound services for our young people um, which is inclusive of case management so we do one-on-one case management for um, the young people who are part of our after-school program okay. um, within there we do um, circles we hold groups uh, we're teaching them life skills and we also helping them with their academics through our homework clubs we also provide them with exposure to boxing to cooking uh, to a variety of field trips and we also do intensive partnerships with um, different organizations to ensure that they are receiving the services they need we also do um, parents GED and ESL programs within our uh, burn schools okay slow down slow down slow down that's a lot. It is this a is, lot. This is awesome that we have this. Give me the schools again. So we have Burns. Burns, yep. And HM- that's a K-5. Correct. Yep. 
We have HMTCA. Yep, and that is a 612 school. Correct. Yep. We only service the middle school, though. Okay. Only and the then school, yeah. we have um, Belize. And Belize is currently K-8. Correct. All right. And so all these services, we talk about wraparound services, clinical services, after school. How big is your after school program? So for our after school program, we have about 125 per school. Wow. Um, we have a little less in our burn school because we uh, we originally had the middle school program attached to it. So yeah. we've decreased that to about 90 kids in that particular school. And go back into a little bit of some of the things you offer for those kids after school. So after school, we do homework clubs. Yeah. We have circles. We also provide groups for them. Um, and within those groups, they are life skill groups um, at their age appropriate. So yeah. it could be just how do you manage anger? Um, some of them are... How do you um, cook? We mm-hmm. have um, food to table that we partner with uh, Knox, and we also part with partner with another organization for that. We also do um, arts. We do creativity. We do um, what is called sparking creativity. We do that. We do world sports, so we introduce them to different sports as well. So we do different cohorts of things depending on what time of year it is. And, um, again, that's just for the school side. But Compass also has a peace builder side, too, where we work with young people between the ages of 13 and 18 who are disengaged and disconnected. Um, And those young people, um, we look for kids who are victims or perpetrators of violence. We look for young people who are juvenile justice involved, those who are gang-related, and those who are carrying a weapon. Now, let's slow down on that. Um, That's not in just those three schools. That's where? That's in throughout the whole city of Hartford. Wow. And also in all of the Hartford public schools that meet our criteria. What, how do I meet your criteria? So, again, if those four things that I named, yep. if you if you're a young person between the ages of 13, 13 and 18, 18. Yep. who, again, are juvenile justice involved, a victim, intended victim, or perpetrator of violence, wow. criminal involvement, and gang-associated, we tend to um, wrap services around you because, unfortunately, when young people are involved in one of those things, Things, um, they tend to be discarded and they get they tend to told no and no one cares but we want to show them that we do care and we do love them and we do want to provide services for them and so we intervene we go into the high schools we provide life skills we provide groups for them as well as needed mm-hmm. um, we partner with the schools in order to say hey is there a way that we can help and support so we can right now we have um, we're working with new vision um, the kids at new vision right now and providing a service once a week for them in new vision just for everybody anyone who don't know new vision is one of our schools that kids go to when they're expelled correct and just and again as I stated just to show them that we hear we we care now I mean there's so many things I want to ask you about this but your staff for peace builders right what do you look for in your staff that has to go out and talk to and work with these kids that have, you know, um, the issues that they have. So one of the biggest things is relatability. Yeah. And so, and that's important because it's very difficult to talk to young people who are experiencing these things and say, you shouldn't do that if you've never experienced it. And so our staff are there to say, hey, I'm using my second chance to help you with your first um, so that you don't have any incident uh, was, of getting can out you, there. Can you please say that again? And so our staff use their second, second chance, chance to help that their, our young people um, give them first. their first. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's a way for them to say, hey, been there, done that. Yeah. Let me help you through it. Right. Even if you did make a mistake, it's okay. Let me help you through it. And so they're there to help and encourage them. They're, they're there as a crisis response for them as well. And so they're there to say, hey. 
yeah, you did something wrong. It's okay. Right. How do, how do who reaches out to peace builders for that kind of support? Is that, does that come from, can a parent do that? Can a principal do that? Can a, you know, a teacher do that? How does that usually work? So normally we get our referrals um, from DCF. We will get them from okay. the schools. Normally it's from the social worker yeah. that will give us a call. And the parents do give us a call as well. They'll fill out the referral form for that. And normally what our staff do, our peace builders, they'll go out and do initial home visit just to see if that young person does fit our profile. Okay. and But this is also, and I, I'm not trying to sound any kind of way when I say this, though, this is after the fact, right? This is after a child has already been involved in a system, right? Correct. Proactively, what does Compass do to support? So proactively is what we're doing on our um, the ones who are embedded in the school. Gotcha. So because yep. we have that case management approach, right. we're looking at those young people who are chronically absent, who have truancies, who might have behavioral problems, mm-hmm. and saying, hey, grabbing them before unfortunately do right you know the after school programs help with that because we and you know fortunately for burns hmtca and belize that you're in there to provide them with after school activities because there's some of our schools that don't have opportunities for students to do things after school that are enriching that are fun that are engaging and that are free Correct. And we also found that there was a we we tried it out this year that it was a huge disconnect between an after school program and what goes on during the day. And so we what we did was expand our um, our youth development workers to say, hey, we need you to be a part of the school during the day to see what our young people are doing, to, to be there to say, hey, I see you and then be able to now adjust or talk to them about some of the things that they've done. Um, in our after-school program, good and or bad, and just to be able to support them in that way. Um, We also are going to start infusing what we call um, CBT. Um, And so it's a cognitive behavior therapy. We're not going to do the actual therapy, but we're going to do it very simple. And so we want to infuse that in everything we do because we do want our young people to say, hey, what are my thoughts? What are my emotions behind that? Mm -hmm. And then how can I change my behavior? Do I need to behave in this way because I'm thinking this way? And so we're going to infuse that in everything we do. And we think that that will help support the preventative thing that you're talking about. And also for those young people who have have done something, that they won't continue to do that. And we'll see a change behavior in that as well. Now, from the VP of operations, Lens, what's that role like? What is it your job to do? So for me, operationally, it's like infusing it all the way through. Um, It's a culture change. It's a shift in dynamics. And so my role is to help do that shift and make sure that that shift is done in a way that's, one, not disruptive to to our young people Mm -hmm. and also not disruptive to our staff, making ensuring that there's no harm while that is happening. Um, It's also ensuring that those who um, our funders are are understanding that young people, it takes time for change. It takes time for our young people to understand their own thoughts and emotions. As adults, we don't even have that ability. And so for a young person to be able to regulate themselves in a very quick time and or in a year span is a big ask. And so my role is to help support that along with our CEO. Now getting into that conversation, what are your challenges that you see as an organization right now in working with our youth in our education system? So one of the biggest challenges is um, to say, we don't have the ability to help all of the young people. Yeah. So your question was, where do we get our referrals? How are we being called? When we are in the school system, how much we're being called? 
We're mm. not a huge organization, but we're not a small organization. We have about 60 staff. But within that, we're not able to save all 18,000 uh, kids within the yeah. Hartford Public School System. On top of that, we're not able to save all 112,000, maybe 22,000 people that are in the city. We don't have that ability. So the challenge is that we're being pulled in a thousand directions yeah. and not being able to truly do um, or actually truly work with everyone that needs a support. So we have to cap it. And unfortunately, that's a difficult thing for us to do because we want to be able to save everyone. We have this this thing, and it's not the best thing, but we call it the Titanic. Yeah. Within the Titanic, you can't save everyone, right? So unfortunately, there are some that's left behind. A very, very um, horrible situation. That, that is like, that just gave me like just such a, it's a, horrible a tough feeling, situation. right? That's... But unfortunately, that's the way things work. If there's no funding, if right. there's not a lot of bodies to help support the work, there are going to be some young people that are left behind. And so we, we struggle with that and we grapple with that and we try right. to figure out ways that we can support to ensure that there is some support and there's some help, even if it's just a touch. Right. Oh, wow. That's tough. Um, successes with Compass so far in our education system. What's what's great so far? And so one, some of the successes, I'll say, is the partnerships that we've developed within the school systems. Um, I'll talk about those three schools that we're in first. Um, we are able to build a wonderful relationship with our principals, the support team, everyone who's there to ensure that our young people are getting that wraparound service. So even um, as we change the direction of providing that case managed one-on-one support, the uh, staff were really on board and they encouraged us to be there and be that support system during the day. And so that was like a win-win for us because mm -hmm. it was a pilot program for us to, to see if this is something that's needed. Um, also being able to kind of come to them and say, hey, what could we do? How could we support uh, the school and helping our young people? Um, so it's all of our young people, but the ones that we service. Um, the comeback to that is, again, the first thing I stated is that we can't do everything right. and we're not equipped to do everything. So right. we are learning to stay in our lane and do what we can do. Do you ever partner with other um, community-based organizations to support and um, students who are not like let's say we can't reach everybody but if I can't reach you I know you know someone over at the Boys and Girls Club or I know somebody at the village or I know somebody here that can help this school out in another way or sometimes in some of our buildings we have more than one um, organization that's working with our students how do those partnerships work so um, it depends on which direction we would like to go. So for our Peace Builder program, that's something we definitely do. Yeah. Um, we are more apt to say, okay, um, little Betty, who's 14, who don't necessarily meet our profile, however, does need services, we'll re make recommendations based on the, what we receive on how that young person could be successful. Um, just I just recently did that early. I got a call from a um, from the village asking for support for one of their young kids, and the way that they describe, I said this person, this young person is great for Blue Hill Civic Association. Okay. They needed work readiness. They needed work um, readiness. Things that we do work readiness, but we don't provide jobs. Right. And that that young person needed a job. They were age appropriate and needed that support. So we were able to refer in that way. For our school side, um, we work with different partners in a different way. So as I stated earlier about some of our partners, we work with the Knox to help support in that. We work with the village as far as providing mental health services. Okay. We um, continually work with um, EYES to help. Do, it's called an EYES. It's a partnership that we have to help provide things with for our young people. Um, those are kind of the partners that we develop. We also work with, and again, it depends on the need of the school. So every school has a 
slightly different right. need. Yep. And so our partnerships are shaped by the needs of those individuals within the school. I, oh, wow. Um, what we could, what can we look forward to? I know um, one of your partners at work, Liz, reached out to me about um, possible opportunities that are coming up. What are those opportunities? What, we, we found some money somewhere. We're expanding. What's happening? What's going on? What, what, what do we have? Um, so we're looking to be, um, as I slightly stated, we're, we're being very intentional about the work that we're doing. Yep. So Compass as a whole has gone through a theory of change where we've looked at our work to see what are we doing very well and what are some things that we probably don't do as well. And so a part of that theory of change, it's been a year long process that we've gone on doing that. And we decided this is who we are now. And so we are, we've decided to do intentional work. And what that means is being true um, of the kids that we're looking for. So as I stated earlier, as the ones that are meet the profile for our Peace Builder program and then for the school-based side, kids who are chronically absent, truant, those who are showing signs of behavioral issues that might lead to early warning early warning indicators of violence. So, so those are things that we're looking for. You're being intentional about middle school? We're being intentional about servicing Potentially middle school. Yeah. Yes. Oh no, middle school kids. Trust me. Let's be real. Seventh grade is a problem. Ninth grade, grade is, is a problem. problem. Sixth grade. I mean, the adolescence is a problem in general, right? Correct. Uh, when it comes to certain things. Um, and uh, I was talking earlier uh, with Liz about uh, society now and how we things are different with technology. Things are different with social media. Um, things are different with access um, to to stuff. And we've almost become de desensitized to some of the stuff we see on TV and censorship is no longer anywhere. You can look up what you want anytime you want and yet school still remains the same. I completely agree. Um, we've done our own research um, with some of our Compass kids to talk about how social media has a big impact on the way things are done yep. and how, as you stated, the desensitization of yep. things happens. So if we're talking about violence, even within the school system sometimes, yeah. you'll see that there are social media where everything is shared and shared some more, and then the violence is prevalent within either the school and or within our community. And so we look at those things, and we're trying to figure out what's the best approach so our our hope um, as we did our theory of change is to look at that and use social media as a ways to help our young people and not use it as a ways of um, being a detriment to our young people how can we get how can people um, access um, compass how can we find you on social media how can we get in touch with you guys give me a number give me a website give me something um, to share so people can reach out whether it's for peace builders after school programming whatever it is. So our Compass website is Compass Youth Collaborative. That's our actual website. You'll be able to type that in. If yep. you Google it, that's right there. And then it's also the same on our Facebook account. You can be able to go on our Facebook account and type in Compass Youth Collaborative, and you'll be able to access us there. We are on IG, um, but we're more prevalent on Facebook currently, and okay. we're developing our IG system as well. We're going to talk about your Board of Education role now. You sit as a member of our Board of Education. You have to be a Hartford resident to do that, right? Correct. So you live in Hartford. Correct. Which is okay. Which is wonderful. Okay. I was born and raised in Hartford. I'm not trying to knock Hartford. I don't. I no longer live in Hartford. Oh, so you need but to come back to Hartford. I oh. work in Hartford. No, um, that doesn't count. It doesn't count. Got to come back. Um, what's your role on the Board of Education? 
my role. Yeah. Um, so right now, currently, um, as you stated, I am the uh, chair of the policy committee. Mm -hmm. And so my r role is actually to review, um, along with the committee, is to review all of our policies or and or not all of the policies at once, but continually review the policies that need to be updated and also make any updates to the policies that have changed based on legislative changes. So doing any updates to those policies so that we are current and or um, um, what's the word that I'm looking for that we are not that we're in compliance to okay. what we're supposed to be doing so that's like the main role of the policy community committee and also just implementing new policies if needed um, and we always have policies but we don't want to end indict with a whole bunch of policies that no one's going to read and or use or be in for us we so that that's a load right I, I, i'm gonna get to the policy stuff because we have a lot of policies that need to be updated we know some have just changed like you said what's being followed in schools what's being enforced but as a step back what made you even want to be a board this is not a paid position right this is strictly volunteer strictly volunteer okay so what made you want to do this work I don't know what I was thinking. No, I'm just no. joking. Yep. So for me, um, I really wanted to um, be a voice for those who I consider to be voiceless. There are a lot of parents who are out in the community who, one, do not have the time to volunteer the way that I have the um, opportunity to do so. Yeah. And or they're shy. Um, they might feel that they don't have a voice. Uh, they feel that no one hears them and no one, compl no one cares. And so I wanted to be that one where people felt that they could come to me to talk about some of the things that they see that they that can be an effective change within our community. Um, but I will say one of the things is also being able to help bridge the gap. And what I mean by that is having under having people understand what the role of a board member is. Right. And so that's a, a struggle um, in a good and a bad way. And so it's although I wanted to be a voice for the voiceless, I also wanted to give them the right answers to what you can and cannot do as a board member and give them the direction on what they can do um, if they're not going to a board member. So if you have a complaint about a teacher, it's not the board member that you'll go to. It would be to, you have to t t um, follow proper steps. So I'm able to give them those things and those tools that maybe someone else would not be able to give them. So one, how did you become, how, how do, how does anyone become a board member? And how long have you been on a board? So um, there are two different processes in which you can become a board member. There's an okay. appointed position. There are five appointed positions from the mayor. So the mayor appoints five individuals to sit on the board. Mm -hmm. There are also four uh, elected positions. I was elected, so I was elected by you all out there yep. um, to be a part of the board. Um, three of those seats are Democratic seats, and one seat is a minority seat. It can be any minority party to um, have that That's seat. elected. Correct. But the when the... Um the mayor, those have to be goes with his party. Not necessarily. Okay. They Not need necessarily. to be diverse as well. Okay. Okay. And how long have you been on the board? So I've been um, elected since, well, since 2018. So, okay. and it's a four-year position. Okay. Um, that role is not just that you're a um, the chair of the policy committee. Actually, you're the boss of the superintendent, so to speak, right? So to speak, correct. And... She's my one employee. So the superintendent right. is my one employee. I'm not the um, the the uh, supervisor for the principals, anyone else. It's just the superintendent. And that becomes clear when people come to the Board of Ed during meetings, during um, open 
uh, discussion or when people get to come up and talk to the public and they voice their opinions or they look for answers from the board and you guys, your response is usually... So we're actually not allowed to answer any questions. And so that's another thing that I use my position on the board to help educate. Not saying that I had to be on the board to do that, but being in a position to know what's proper protocol and not proper protocol um, helps to educate. So while people are giving public comment, we're unable to answer any of those questions during that time. It's it's legally we cannot answer. Um, So it really doesn't have anything to do that it has nothing to do with the fact of we are only the superintendent's boss or supervisor, right. or however right. you want to do it. It's just legally we cannot answer back. Um, but you get to know. Correct. Right? So We're they know informed. that my, you, through public comment, you're still going to know what it is that I'm talking about. Correct. So it's an opportunity for us to be informed yeah. so that we can then um, – talk to the superintendent and hold her accountable for some of the things that are being addressed during that time. Okay. What, um, what challenges do you face as a board of education in a school district as big as Hartford? Whew. That's a loaded <laughs> question in itself. So, um, for me, um, there's several challenges, but one of the biggest one that sticks out is that, um, when you are a policymaker, um, and also our job is again, like I stated, one is to, to hire, um, yeah. and or fire a superintendent. That's yeah. one of our goal, roles. The second one is to pass a budget. And the third is for policies. And so those are the only three things that we are essentially in charge of. Yeah. So one of the hardest challenges is to getting people to understand that. Getting people to understand that I do not have control over some of the things that they would think that I would have control right. over. Right. We are not management. We are unable to do management work. However, it does not mean that we cannot hear and or talk to the superintendent about it, but we cannot make a change to a management decision. And so that's hard to explain because sometimes people feel you have the power, you can do it. You are correct. We can uh, urge, we can, we can talk, we can, we can nudge, we can do those things, Mm -hmm. but ultimately we don't have the power to ultimately change anything that's going on in the management side. We don't review uh, teachers, um, I was going to say report cards, but we don't review teachers' evaluations. evaluations. We don't review principals' evaluations. That's not our job. And so having to explain that and then people feel that we're not doing what we're supposed to do is is a very difficult thing. Um, And then I also will say um, just being able to, like, talk to people to say people are angry. Yeah. People are frustrated when they're not getting what they feel feel that they need within their school system. And being able to explain to people during a time where there are a lot of budgetary constraints that I hear you and we're trying to do the best that we can with the amount of money that we have. And so being able to explain that is also a very difficult pill to swallow because you want to help everyone, as I stated, even with our school side, yeah. um, excuse me, with my, my role, yeah. With, yeah. My, with my role with Compass, trying to explain to people is I understand that you want a, um, a teacher in your school to teach ballet, and I'm just being facetious about that. Right, but right. But there also is a school over here that doesn't have a math teacher. So we might not necessarily be able to do ballet, but we need to ensure that we have a math teacher within the school. So those are difficult difficult conversations that we have to have um, with parents, guardians, guardians, not gardeners, (laughs) um, 
anyone who is a person that's supporting our young people. And then there's also um, being able to explain that things change and things evolve. And so being able to explain to people why our transportation um, line item is so high, why there is a hike in our um, special ed enrollment, why those things are occurring, it comes off as you guys are not doing a right job. You're right. not doing a good job. Right. Um, why are the ELL scores so low? These, why are the proficiency excuse me scores are so low? Why yep. are the reading skills so low? These are things that did not just happen over four years. These are things that have changed over the last 20 years. Yeah. And so being able to say it's not going to take four years for things to change is going to happen over time. So those are some of the challenges that I've seen. I know I said that that's a mouthful, but those are some of the things that that I deal with. um, Where I will say personally, when you are volunteering for something like that and you constantly are being beat up about something that um, doesn't change quickly, um, can be exhausting. But because I'm passionate and I love our city and I'm invested in our city, um, I keep moving forward and I keep helping to educate um, our parents and friends and community leaders and community partners of what we're doing and we're doing the best that we can with what we have. Okay. Nice answer. Um, successes so far as a board. Um, what do you, what did you see as some of our successes in our city and education or just in your role? So I will say um, one of the biggest successes that I've seen is that being able to provide um People use the word equality all the time. I'm big on equity. And so being able to provide an equitable budget across for all of the schools, so ensuring that every school has the same starting budget, I would would say is something that I'm very proud of because we're able to say not just because you're a magnet school within our Harvard Public Schools or you're a neighborhood school. No, everyone is starting with the same necessities for their school okay now anything added on is something that you can do within your budget and under these constraints so we've developed those constraints so i'll i will commend our superintendent for for coming up with that idea and obviously we had to approve that but those are things where i'm saying we're starting to get to an equitable approach we will never find in my opinion um an an equality equality across the board right but we can't find an equitable approach to help our young people okay. so that's a really big proud moment and i would say also our dme so a vision there's no way that people can succeed our yep. community can succeed our education system can su- succeed if there's not a vision and so although i know people feel that they don't see it just yet but there is a vision and so with that vision we're taking incremental steps to get there and i say that it's a guide so that we can say hey this is where we want to be mm-hmm. and we're taking those little steps to get there and so i would say that's a success where it's a plan it's laid out it's designed and now we're moving towards it um and i'm also big and again this is my bias i feel that i'm very excited about the middle schools being separate yep. it gives that opportunity to have that separation middle school age is a very very difficult age so where are you you going to fight for resources equitable resources for middle school then because if we when we separate them and we have a a large amount of middle school children in one place that's different than a k-8 school that might have you know a few middle school kids in it correct and so that's where because this is the first year it's been mm-hmm. done yep there are going to be some tweaks on the way that's designed in the beginning obviously there will be some things where everyone does does everyone need a guidance counselor yes does everyone need a social worker yes does mm-hmm. math all of those things but to your point when you have 
middle schoolers and their development is different, their cognitive development is different, mm-hmm. there are different resources that need to be there. And so mm-hmm. because I was one of the pro- proponents of there needs to be a separation between K through five yeah. and middle school and high school because of their development, yeah. I will be one of those that will p- be pushing for um, resources to be poured in there as well. Okay. I have a lot of middle schools on my plate, so I'm just, I know who to look for when I need to. Um, policy. What's the last policy you guys worked on that needed to be changed or updated or new? Um, so I, I'll at least say the ones that we're working on currently that okay. will be coming up. Um, we are working on, there has been an amendment to the sexual harassment policy. Okay. There's an amendment to, um, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase the wording of the policy, um, is the children's play. So p- being able to ensure that our, our young people are having active time outside of the work, you cannot... Um, put a child in like quote unquote timeout, like recess, so they are right? able to have access to recess. Correct. Okay. Um, Wait, whoa, whoa! What grade levels? You remember that? What age range? What grade? Because we've been, we've been um, struggling with that a little bit. Okay, we've been struggling with that a little bit. So I, I, I want you to get back to me on that because we're talking. Does is it just elementary schools? We've seen that. We saw K fives. We see K eights. Should middle school kids go out to recess? Should high school kids go out to recess? Um, that's big. So I know you're still working on it. I'm, but. We're still working on it. I'm actually now you have me curious. I yeah. want to say offhand, um, just because I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. I want to say it did say um, elementary. Yeah. But there are some research to say that middle schoolers need it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will look at that, and I will. I promise I'll get back to you about that. <laughs> but I do know you. We, we don't want to punish kids by you didn't do your homework, so you can't. So therefore, you can't go outside. To Correct. Recess, and right? so it's there's you cannot punish or use their recess time as a right. form of punishment. Right, right, right. Um, there are some changes about ensuring. Um, there's a, a couple of different policies. I'm sorry that um, that we're working on. Um, we passed the code of conduct. That's one of the ones that we just went through. Yep. Um, we shifted on that one. I actually wasn't the policy chair at that time, but that's one of the ones I was always a part of the policy committee. Okay. Um, I just got put into this new role as um, a policy um, person. And mm-hmm. so we're going to be working on a lot of ones. One of the new policies that we are looking to work on is the equity policy, yep. um, which we'll, we're looking to implement across the entire city. So not just affecting the education system, but working with the city as well. Um, because there's no way that we can have an equity policy just for the school system that there's no efforts from the city as well to do that. It's not it's so not a one stop thing. Right. And so we're working on that. Um, it's not completely written out because we're gathering information from different places on how to do that. We're also going to be going to an equi- equity um, conference coming up to help support that as well. Now, um, and, and I know we're getting ready to wrap it up, but our superintendent, our, our district. Um, how do you assess if we're making progress? How do you assess if she's making progress? And so I will say um, one of the things that, I mean, data is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a data person myself. Um, so one of the success is one of those things that depends on who you're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's a very, very broad question. But I will say that some of the things we look at is, um, our four domains where we're talking about teaching and learning. What are we doing within there? Yeah. Are we streamlining those things? Are we making it consistent across the board? Those are things that we're looking at and defining as success. Organizational management, what's going on in there? Are we doing things to ensure that we're providing organizational management? Mm-hmm. Are we, again, it has to be streamlined. Are we working to our best? 
are we advancing that? Are we finding ways to find a stable way of maintaining our finances? Mm -hmm. And so those are things that she is working on. I would say that would be considered a success. Um, As we're looking into our community partners, there is a whole um, office designed specifically for our partners in community engagement. That is something that we miss. That is something that we did, we had in the past and we did not have anymore, and it's brought back so that we can ensure that there is a voice for our community partners, our community leaders, um, and ensuring that our, our, our schools have an individual in each school currently to address those needs of those families and, com- and community partners, and that's within each school. So I would define that as a success too because there should be some resource for our families when they walk through that door to help them um, navigate some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the last one is, um, what did I say? I said the financial, the organizational, the teaching and learning. Culture and climate. The culture and climate. Now that is very difficult to change. Yeah. Defining that success is difficult. <laughs> we are doing the evaluations, those are things, but there also is a shift of saying, again, the equitable approach. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about culture and climate, having everyone to have an understanding of we're one school meaning one district Mm -hmm. and so we are looking at that to say what does everyone need and how do we get there and so being able to start those incremental steps to saying okay here here's an issue how do we address that and how do we move forward those are things that the superintendent is looking at and the dme is using those things to pull out to say okay are we successful here and and where do we need to work on and those are those are the parts that we're at currently right now so again success is one of those things that depends on who you're asking but i will say that she's doing a great job to ensure that our our wonderful and capable students are doing well (laughs) that was great um i'm gonna let you get out of here just on any last thoughts that you might have that you want to tell anybody about Hartford Public Schools, our school system? I would say um, you have a voice and you're welcome. I think one of the biggest misconceptions within our district is that our parents and our families and our community partners are not welcome. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that you are and you have a voice and be able to use that voice. If it might just be an email that you're sending, it might be just attending a board board meeting. Make sure you attend the board meeting um, and stay for the entire time. Um, That's whoa. (laughs) Some of those times they get pretty long. I I must admit they do. But there are times where there's a lot of information that um, will help. Um, shape the misconceptions that are going on and ask questions. So those are things that I would say to our families and our listeners. You have a voice. Well, on that note, I will use my voice to say thank you very much for participating in Let's Talk Harper Public Schools. You have been talking with Miss Aisha Clark, who is our Vice President of operations at compass youth collaborative she is also the chair of the policy committee on our board of education she is also a parent and just an all-around wonderful person thank you for the conversation this has been let's talk harford public schools you can catch us on 89.9 qfm in harford we're also streaming on cast box um cast box is castbox.fm you can catch us on harford public schools Um, social media as well. Thank you guys for listening.